me your host Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at a conjoined appeal with the cases of Aesop and Home Office and Naeem and Secretary of State for Justice. The citation for these conjoined appeals is 2017 UKSC 27. The focus of these cases is on indirect discrimination, but before we proceed with that it's quite useful to go over what the distinction is between direct discrimination and indirect discrimination. So direct discrimination is the most obvious one, and it's simply where an employer treats an employee badly because of a protected characteristic. For example, an employer might say to their employee, I'm not going to give you any holiday time because you are Jewish. In this situation, the employer is clearly discriminating against the employee simply because of that protected characteristic. Indirect discrimination that we're going to be looking at today is a little bit more subtle, And this is where an employer applies a provision, a criterion, or a practice to all of their employees, but it particularly disadvantages those with a protected characteristic. So to give you another example, an employer might require all of their employees to be able to climb stairs, even though that isn't relevant to the job. And this would be particularly discriminatory against disabled people, Uh, and those in wheelchairs who are not able to climb stairs. So we see there a form of indirect discrimination, where the employer is being a lot more subtle about the way that they are discriminating against certain people with a protected characteristic by applying that provision to all of their employees. So let's have a look at a couple of potential examples of indirect discrimination as we look at both of these conjoined appeals. First let's deal with ESOP, and ESOP is one member of a larger group of appellants who have worked for the Home Office. As part of their job there they were required to pass something called a core skills assessment um, before they could be promoted, but a report in 2010 showed that black and minority ethnic candidates and older candidates had lower pass rates than those who were white and or younger. In this case then, the appellants argued that this essentially constituted indirect discrimination with respect to the protected characteristics of race and age. The Home Office, on the other hand, responded by saying that Section 19.2b of the Equality Act 2010 required the appellants to actually prove the reason for there being a lower pass rate on the assessment for those with the protected characteristics. Meanwhile, the case of Naeem is also about indirect discrimination, but we'll see that there's a slightly different context here. Naeem is an imam who works as a chaplain in prisons. He began his work in 2001 on a sessional basis because there were simply fewer Muslim inmates at the time, and so they didn't need as many Muslim chaplains. However, in 2004 he worked more hours, but now as a salaried employee. At the same time, the pay scheme for chaplains changed, and began to include pay progression over time. In other words, the longer that you'd work there as a salaried employee, the more money that you would be able to get. Of course, you can imagine that this advantaged the Christian chaplains, who had been able to work on a salaried basis for longer periods, and therefore got paid more under the new structure. It was on this basis Naeem argued that the pay scheme amounted to a form of indirect discrimination, with respect to the protected characteristics of race and religion. When the case got to the Court of Appeal, they rejected this argument and said that it had to be proved that the reason for the variable impact of the pay scheme was related to actually the protected characteristics. 
So having seen the arguments and counter-arguments from both of the appellants now and also the respondents, the case has moved up to the Supreme Court which is where we're picking it up and as mentioned at the start this is a conjoined appeal and so the Supreme Court is taking quite a broad look at indirect discrimination in general and how the rules should apply. So firstly with regards to ESOP at the Home Office, the Justice has held that Section 192B of the Equality Act 2010 does not actually expressly require reasons why an employer's provision, criterion or practice puts one group at a disadvantage compared to others. In other words, indirect discrimination almost works like strict liability in this sense. As long as a disadvantage is created, then that is enough. However, the respondent could be successful if they prove that there was no causal link between their provision and the protected characteristics. For example, the appellant did not prepare for the core skills assessment which they were assessed on. With this in mind, the case was sent back to the Employment Tribunal so that they could consider this aspect. Moving on to Naeem, our imam who works in the prisons, the Supreme Court established that the important causal link is not between the characteristic and treatment, as was suggested by Naeem. Instead, there should be a causal link between the provision put in place by the employer and the disadvantage that has been suffered. Here it is known exactly why Muslim chaplains are at a disadvantage, i.e. the shorter length of service. Despite this disadvantage, we do also have to think about whether the approach that has been taken is actually proportional. The Employment Tribunal, when the case was at that level, found that six years was the necessary time needed for a chaplain to gain all of the required skills and expertise so that they could be rewarded at the top of the pay scale. In other words, the provision that has been put in place by the prison services is proportional and so Naeem's appeal was dismissed. So that was how the Supreme Court responded in both of those cases, but before we move on to actually analysing and reviewing the judgement, it's actually worth going over a couple of other comments that the court decided to make while they had the opportunity to do so. Firstly, and perhaps most obviously, the provision does not need to put every person with a particular characteristic at a disadvantage. For example, in ESSEP, some black and minority ethnic, as well as some older employees, will have passed the Home Office assessment, but that doesn't affect the appellant's current case. Expanding on this, the Supreme Court went on to say that statistical evidence, like the review that was carried out of the Core Skills Assessment in 2010, can be used to demonstrate a disadvantage for employees. Finally, in cases such as these, the employer will always have an opportunity to prove that a provision is justified and there may be a good reason for it in a lot of circumstances. Employers should though be cognizant of the effect that provisions will have on those with protected characteristics and should do all that they can to minimise the discriminatory effects. So what about this judgement and the cases that we actually have in front of us? Well, overall, the decision and the reasoning in these cases can be understood, but that does not mean to say that they are right. This is particularly true in ESSEP, where there is a clear disadvantage to groups with certain characteristics. However, it is difficult to actually demonstrate a causal link between the assessment and the disadvantage that has been suffered by black and minority ethnic candidates, as well as older candidates as well. And this is problematic because our legal system is so heavily steeped in proving something to be true. 
extending a sort of principle of res ipsa loquitur, which is the Latin phrase meaning the thing speaks for itself, should be treated with caution. Many of you perhaps have jobs yourself, and as an employee, your progression within any organisation is dependent on your ability to do your job well. In a broader sense, this is ultimately what our democracy is based on, and what sets Western civilization apart, this sense of meritocracy. In order to assess ability, it is necessary to carry out assessments such as these, and if we restrict employers' ability to do so, we begin to slowly undermine the idea that the best applicant for a job should be the one that gets it. On the other hand, we can look at Naeem's case and say that the pay scheme that was described is based on length of service, and so any sort of meritocratic element is at best incidental. There's basically an assumption that if a chaplain has been a salaried employee for six years, then they automatically deserve to be at the top of the pay scale. Of course, this idea or this pay scheme is at the discretion of the employer, but it does raise serious questions about the position that this puts Naeem in. For all we know, he could be a much better chaplain than his Christian comparators, but there's not really any way to actually assess this. While this point is not directly pertinent to the case, it's noteworthy that Naeem has not even been given the opportunity to demonstrate his value in the same way that the Home Office employees did in ESSUP. The court's hands do appear to be somewhat tied when coming to this judgement, but it does seem that Naeem has been rather hard done by because of factors that are beyond his control and that ultimately do come down to his faith. Well, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Um, make sure that you do check out my website at uklawweekly.com. Um, leave a rating and a review for the podcast on iTunes. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week with another episode. Thanks again. Bye.